The Cottonwood Project presents Becoming the Plagiarist, written and read by B.T. Higgins. Two. Mike walked through the door of Mr. Novak's room, 34A, Building 3, Level 4, Room A. The room was vast and empty except for a row of desks on the left and a block of desks on the right. Nearly every seat had been taken. Mike just managed to sit down in the last empty one in the block formation when the bell rang. The room was painted chalkboard green from floor to ceiling, and the air tasted of chalk. Mr. Novak stepped out from an unlit part of the room dressed in a white powdered wig and a British Army uniform. He held a long stick in his hands, the tip of which gripped a large piece of chalk. Mr. Novak began drawing on the floor. Boston, Massachusetts, June 1775. A map? Mike muttered under his breath. Or a battle formation? This wasn't his first year with Mr. Novak, but he was wrong. Mike leaned over and read two words, Boston and Charleston. They were separated by several feet. Then Mr. Novak smiled and pressed a red button on the back of the chalk stick. A map appeared on the floor in bright laser colors. Ooh, the class said as they found themselves in the middle of a map as large as the vast room. This is new, Mike said. The words Mr. Novak had written on the floor fit perfectly into the map. All of the desks were either on the Boston Peninsula or the Charlestown Peninsula side of the map. Mike glanced at the ceiling and saw new fixtures around the room where the projectors were recessed in the ceiling tile. The British occupy Boston at this time and the colonial army wants to drive them back to England. Mr. Novak began to tell the story. He marked the ground with ship names, army numbers, generals' names. He hit his red button and large movement arrows moved his ships and labels from place to place. After something moved, Mr. Novak erased his markings with a little wet mop. The laser projectors reproduced his drawing in the new location. Mike looked at the floor in front of him and saw ships. The Somerset, the Spitfire, the Lively, the Falcon. They covered the water around Boston Town and Harbor. Mr. Novak told the story like a movie, and soon the armies were rushing toward inevitable conflict at Breed's Hill and Bunker Hill. The British soldiers, Mr. Novak pointed at the students in Boston, crossed the Charles River and land at Morton's Point. Mr. Novak stepped several paces closer and shouted, Well, come on then, we don't have all day. Put on your safety glasses, pick up your weapons and cross the river. He poked the air with his stick. Mike lifted his desk and found the glasses and a Nerf gun inside. The British soldiers, now armed with Nerf blasters, stepped across the blue water and lined up on Morton's Hill. Mr. Novak turned toward the Colonial Army and told of their fortifications on Breed's Hill. They found Nerf guns in their desks and took their places on the high ground. Mike smiled as Mr. Novak swung his arms around dramatically. At one point, his powdered wig fell off to reveal a bald dome. Mike approached Breed's Hill. The words glowed green on the floor. Mr. Novak stood between the two armies to narrate and prevent any premature firing. Don't fire until you see the whites of their eyes, Mr. Novak shouted at the colonials, though he was dressed as a British officer, 
No one pointed this out. Mr. Novak was too into the battle to be bothered with that now. Mike loaded his Nerf blaster and held it at the ready. This gun shot foam balls instead of darts, which Mike thought was better since they were standing in for muskets. Mike and his line of British troops approached closer. Then Mr. Novak shouted, Then the Colonials shot from their protected position. Suddenly, the Colonial line exploded with blasts. Mike saw a flurry of yellow balls. There was barely enough time to blink before every one of them hit him. He felt stings on his face, his chest, one painfully close to his area of worst vulnerability. Mike grunted as he processed all the little pains. He opened his eyes and saw fifteen yellow balls bouncing on the ground at his feet. What? Mike started to say, when a second volley came at him, he had just enough time to protect himself before fifteen more shots pelted him. Why are you all shooting Mike? Mr. Novak shouted. You're supposed to shoot the whole line. Four more shots took Mike in the chest. He's dead already. Mr. Novak stepped between the two armies. Mike saw Zayden and Ricardo laughing and lining up the next shot. Zayden fired. Mr. Novak stepped in front of the shot. Pause the war, please. He turned toward Mike with a look of concern. I I'm okay, Mike said. Mr. Novak nodded and turned toward the colonial line. Running out of ammunition is how your side loses this battle, and you just wasted 34 shots on one general. Zayden nodded and high-fived a few other students. Mr. Novak raised his finger. A large number of British officers died in this battle, so there probably was a bit of shooting at the leaders. But Mike is down, so stop it. Mr. Novak turned and pointed at Mike. Play dead, quick. Mike sat down and Mr. Novak shouted, The battle may commence. Both lines blasted the other. Mike rubbed a painful spot on his temple and hoped it hadn't left a welt. No, that was paintball. He winced as two more shots took him in the neck. I'm dead already, Mike shouted. Zayden laughed. Mike glanced up at him just in time to see him take a Nerf ball in the forehead. Mike laughed. Zayden dropped his gun, clasped both hands over his face. I'm hit, I'm down, Zayden shouted. Mike glanced down his line to see who had made the shot, but couldn't tell. Mr. Novak jumped into the fray again. The British are driven back. Mike scooped up as much ammo from the ground as he could hold and fell back to Morton's Hill. Mike, having both a vast arsenal of Nerf guns at home and two younger brothers, took to the second attempt at taking Breed's Hill with a vengeance. At least four Colonials took direct hits from Mike's blaster, but then five guns turned toward him all at once and he was pummeled again. Laying on his back, Mike considered that he had now been shot 41 times. The number didn't bother him. Jackson and Peter had automatic Nerf blasters. He'd taken heavy fire before. The foam ball stung, but that didn't bother him that much. Why had everyone blasted him? One word popped into Mike's mind. Payback. Zayden would still be mad about this morning, Mike realized. He had kept shooting even after Mr. Novak called a battle pause. So that made sense. Mike had messed with him. Now he had to pay for it. Mike knew he could handle Nerf balls, but how did Zayden get everyone on the line to single him out? That's what bothered him. Why would everyone else do it? 
Mike imagined it. Zayden sees the opportunity and whispers down the line of colonials, Everybody, shoot Mike! No. Mike adjusted his imagination. Zayden didn't call him Mike. Everybody, shoot the spike! That's what he would have said. And everyone did it. Why? Mike had only enough time for one more thought. If this was the price for helping Will out of a situation, Mike could handle it. He tightened up his face like Tony the Tomb Maker Reese had taught him. When they come at you, you take their best shot, smile like you liked it. Maybe even laugh to let them know their worst is nothing. It'll drive them crazy. That's how you win. Mike could still hear Tony's voice from elementary and junior high. How many times had Tony defended him before he learned that he, too, could take on the bullies? The British Army suffers extreme casualties. They are driven back again, Mr. Novak shouted. Mike sprang to his feet, gathered up an armload of ammo, and fell back to Morton's Hill. The colonial line is bloodied and running out of ammunition. If the British make another run at the hill, they won't be able to hold them off. When the rest of the battle was played out, Mr. Novak announced, Back to your seats. You have some computer work on this subject. All guns and ammo back in the arsenal. He pointed to a series of shelves in the dim corner of the classroom. And I mean all. We have more battles to learn about. Mike missed his walking stick. His limp looked more obvious without it. The laser maps disappeared as he walked toward his desk. Mr. Novak used his wet mop to erase all his chalk labels on the ground. Mike sat down. Grand said, I have some questions for you to complete. What language would you like to display them in? English for now, Mike said. For now, I suppose that's fine, Grand said. Mike worked through a dozen multiple-choice questions, tapping the screen and scrolling quickly. It's the first day back. The questions weren't too hard. Are you ready to record your total recall footage? Gran asked. Mike centered his thoughts and nodded. Gran activated a counter. The screen read, Capturing total recall in five seconds. Mike took a breath. Two red buttons appeared on opposite edges of the computer. Two cameras. Mike knew the cameras would composite a three-dimensional video for the virtual reality version of this course and his graded records. Today, we learned about one of the early battles of the Revolutionary War, where the American colonies broke away from the English Empire. The year of this battle was 1775. I think it was summertime. Location, Boston and Charlestown. Please access Mr. Novak's maps to see what I'm talking about. Mike saw a tiny green number in the corner of his screen. It changed constantly. It read 14 at the moment. Mike ignored it and tried to explain the details of the battle, as best he could. The green number rose to as high as 20 by the end. The counter indicated the number of online learners viewing his video live. When Mike had finished, he waved goodbye and ended the recording. That's all for this class, Grand said. Would you like to work on your concentration reviews? Mike cocked his head and thought, how much time do I have before the end of class? Five minutes. Grant said. Okay, that's fine, Mike said. What language are you in the mood for today, Grant asked. Surprise me, Mike said. The display filled with text. Russian? He began reading out loud quietly so his voice wouldn't get recorded by someone's recall video. 
It turned out to be a first-hand account of the Battle of Bunker Hill translated into Russian. Mike worked through the passage slowly. He tapped words he hadn't seen before. Their definitions in Russian illuminated on the side of the screen. The bell rang before he finished. He closed down the Russian review with a swipe of five fingers. I need to hit the can before my next class. Better hurry up then, Gran said. Mike slid his computer into his backpack and reached for his walking stick. He frowned and limped out of the room. Something was very wrong. Mike glanced at the room number for his next class, 41C. Why did he have a class in the athletics building? There must be some mistake. No mistake, Gran said. Mike walked over the footbridge and found the room on the first floor. It smelled of sweat and bleach. This can't be right, Gran. His computer replied from his backpack, I show no mistake. Mike looked around skeptically. The room was filled with muscled jocks changing into workout shorts. Are you trying to tell me all these guys are signed up for Russian 3? This isn't Russian 3, Gran said. I thought I signed up for Russian 3 this period. Mike sat down on the bench and pulled out his computer. He tapped his schedule and gulped. Why does it say I'm in weightlifting, Gran? Because you are in weightlifting. The color blanched from Mike's face. There has been some kind of mistake. A massive voice from behind him said, No mistake has been made. Mike turned to see Coach King looking down at him. One of his eyebrows raised as he appraised Mike with a smile. But, sir, I am supposed to be in Russian 3, Mike said. You have signed up for weightlifting. His voice was like a thunderclap. At once, Mike remembered the screen from registration. It had said Russian 3, and then indented beneath it, in bold, had been the words weightlifting. Mike said, a waitlist for Russian? Really? Mike slapped his forehead. He had selected the waitlist and moved on. Mr. King, Mike laughed nervously. I see my mistake now. I thought I was registering for the waitlist for Russian 3, weightlisting, not weightlifting. You see, it's a mistake. Tell me the truth, Mr. King boomed. The tile walls bounced his words around like a racquetball. Do you really believe they would ever need a waitlist for Russian 3? Everyone laughed. Mike looked around and gulped. He had done it now. Everyone stared at him with big, loose smiles. Now that I think about it, no. Mr. King eyed Mike with that same smile that the rest of the athletes wore, like they were in for a real treat. You are the perfect candidate for weightlifting. Mr. King lifted Mike's arm and shook it like a wet noodle. He wrapped a hand around Mike's bicep, his fingers touched on the back of Mike's arm, with room to spare. You need to be in this class, Mr. King dropped his arm. Your request for a transfer is denied. Get changed. But, sir, my foot. Mike grimaced as he tried to play his final card. Mike Wilson, I have been teaching here since you were five years old. Don't you think I know about your foot? Yes, Mike said. I already figured it in. Mr. King clapped his hands. This class will be very good for you. Now find some shorts that fit. He turned toward the rest of the class. In the gym, three minutes. 
Mike heard the echo of the word minutes like a death sentence. Somehow, Mike found a pair of shorts and a shirt that fit from last year's cast-off pile. He put them on to the sound of laughing. Mike glanced up. He expected the laughter to be at his expense, but it was just a couple of guys teasing each other. Mike felt relieved. He never really thought about the fact that he was scrawny. Everyone in his family was small. Next to all these guys, Mike felt like a stick man. Why hadn't he read the registration screen more carefully? He heard a deep, low chuckle over his shoulder. Mike looked up and saw a wall of chest muscles. Mike looked a little farther and saw that it was Aya. His dark skin contrasted with his white teeth. His voice was impossibly low. Tony told me about you, Aya said. His Nigerian accent thick. He pointed with his meaty hand. You know Tony? Mike said. I played all the sports with Tony, Aya said, and he talked about you all the time. Mike smiled. I have heard many, many stories. Aya looked around the room slowly. Compared to all those things, weightlifting will be a piece of cake. Aya bumped his fist against Mike's shoulder and walked away. Mike's shoulder stung. He could still feel Aya's knuckles. He smiled and wiggled his arm. The door to the gym opened and Mr. King shouted in, Let's go, let's go, let's go! Mike noticed that all the guys carried their computers with them, so he pulled Gran from his backpack and fell in behind. He'd never seen this room before, but it smelled the same. It was filled with metal machines, free weights and ropes, and something that looked like a big box of rubber bands. Mike felt completely lost. Computers on the wall, Mr. King said. He pointed without looking. Mike pressed Gran against a strip of sheet metal and heard the click of the magnets engaging the surface. Set your computers to tracking mode. Mike hadn't used tracking mode much, but he remembered how to engage it. Gran would find him in the room, track his performance, and ignore everyone else. Good luck, Mike, Gran said. Mike was immediately embarrassed that he still had his grandmother on his computer. He didn't reply. Beginning of the year stuff, Mr. King said. All of your efforts will be recorded by your computers and put into my physical fitness rubric. He pointed at a wall-sized display. It had names and rankings. Those are the points for last year's weightlifting class. All stats follow you into this term, so I hope you haven't been sitting around playing video games all summer. Hmm, eating candy bars? That's what I thought. Mike saw that Tony's name was in the top spot. We've got rankings on the first column. The second column is personal best records on various exercises. The third column is the last recorded performance. The fourth column is a personal score based on improvement and effort. See my physical fitness rubric if you don't remember how that is calculated. The last column is how much you are irritating me today. The guys chuckled and nodded appreciatively. Mike felt like he missed the joke. You are competing against each other for all rankings, and you are competing against your last performance. Mike, you are the only new guy, so let me explain. Your class grade comes from your improvement only. The rankings are just for the fun of the statistics. Got it? Mike gulped and said, okay. Tony, the tomb maker Reese is no longer at this school, 
Mr. King shouted this for some reason. That means the number one spot is wide open. Boys, let the games begin. Mr. King hit a button on the wall and some gentle piano music began to play. The guys laughed. Stretching is for tough guys. Let's go. Mike followed the other guys. He felt like a fish on the beach. He bent, he twisted, he tugged, he just tried to fit in. Run a few laps, Mr. King shouted. Mike went pale. Mr. King stepped over to him and whispered, I checked with your dad. He said that running is awkward, but not physically painful. Is that correct? Mike nodded. We will alter your warm-up routine if that changes. You will let me know. Yes, sir, Mike said. Get on with it, Mike, Mr. King shouted and stepped away. Mike began running. If you could call it that, it looked more like trying not to fall over. Mike put his head down and focused. He felt mortified. An angry lump rose in his throat. As the other guys lapped him, they eyed him with a mix of expressions. When it was over, Mike could barely suck in a breath. He collapsed on the mat near the wall. Aya stepped over and stood over Mike. I am not cut out for this, Mike choked. Nonsense, Aya said with a huge smile. We all start on the mat, just like that. Mike checked the lost and found for his walking stick. He felt so exhausted that he could use the support. The boxes were empty. He hadn't expected it to be that easy, but still. Who would take a cane from a disabled kid? One face popped into Mike's mind, Zayden Perez. Mike laughed at himself. Not everything is his fault. But still, who else would do it? Mike limped to the cafeteria, picked up a tray and got in line. He leaned against the counter. When the line moved forward, he groaned. He took a sandwich, a blueberry muffin, and a couple of bottles of milk. Mike sat down at the nearest table without thought. A table half full of elementary kids looked at him. Mike pushed his food to the side and lay his head on the table. Eventually, the other kids at the table stopped staring and ignored him. Mike didn't twitch a single muscle because he was afraid it would hurt. The kids finished eating and left him alone. Mike heard someone else sit down across from him. Mike? He lifted his head. Stiffness had begun to set in. Yes? I'm Will from this morning. Are you all right? Will held his tray just above the surface of the table, a look of concern on his face. Fine, I just had my first weightlifting class, and I think I am not in good shape. Mike laughed and forced himself to sit up. Do you remember me? Will set his tray down. Of course. Mike eyed his food tray without much interest. How's it going, Will? It's different here, Will shrugged one shoulder. But it's not bad. Zayden didn't bother you anymore, Mike asked. No, I haven't seen him again, Will said. Good, Mike said. Maybe he should just drink his milk. Will looked nervous. He reached into his backpack, pulled out a bag of cookies, and slid it across the table toward Mike. What's this for? Mike eyed the bag. People told me how it works around here, Will said, with the chips and the snack bags being like money. Will pointed to the cafeteria wall where a huge set of screens displayed students by grade and the number of bags they had. You know about it, right? Right. It's the school's way of teaching economics, a sort of internal market, exchange of goods and services. A bag of chips is like a dollar, good for buying and selling favors. 
or you can bank them for later use and they get logged into the computer. If you need to go to the bathroom during class, just pay a teacher a bag of chips. If you want to skip a whole class, that costs a lot more. It depends on the teacher. You got to have the flavor they like too. Keep a variety in your bag. Mostly, it's a school-wide competition. The student with the most bags wins bragging rights. Right, so you do know, Will said. He nudged the bag of cookies closer to Mike. What's this for, Will? Mike picked it up. For helping me this morning, Will said. Payment for protection. I didn't do it so you would give me cookies. I did it because I hate bullies, Mike's stomach growled. Although, I will accept them because this is my favorite, double chocolate soft-baked. Mike ripped the bag open and smelled the cookies. Will gasped. I thought they were money. You aren't supposed to eat them. Mike pulled out one of the cookies and handed it to Will. Then he pulled the second one out and lifted it. Well, I love cookies. They sat in silence and ate together. Mike gave Will a bottle of milk. You have to eat these with milk. Will smiled. When they finished, Mike picked a few crumbs out of the bag. The screen changed and showed updated school-wide totals. At the top of the list, Zayden Perez. Mike pointed up at it. He uses intimidation to force kids to give him bags. It's a protection racket. Do you know what that is? Will shook his head. Scare everyone into giving you money, or here at school it's bags, Mike said. Pay him or he'll bother you. That's his game with all the younger kids. Will said, it looks like it works. He has 3,134 bags. It's just temporary. Eventually kids will run out of chips and their parents won't buy them anymore. Maybe a few will stand up to him, stop paying. He can't hurt anyone without getting kicked out of school. And he doesn't want to get kicked out. This is a really good school. I bet his dad would be furious if he got kicked out. I know mine would be, so... It's all just a scam. His numbers will drop and someone else will be at the top of the board. Really? Mike said, skeptically. You want to get on the leaderboard? Mike asked. Will shrugged. Sure. I will tell you the secret. Just find ways to help people out. The more people you can help, the better. You'll do just fine on the boards. And uh, don't eat them all. That's important, too. Will laughed and Mike checked the bag for any more crumbs. After Will left, the warning bell sounded. Mike pulled his computer out of his backpack. Gran, what do I have next? Language, concentration, studies, independent, Gran replied. I was hoping you would say nap time. Mike chuckled to himself. He loved concentration studies. So this was good news. All the classes in his concentration were things that he loved and had a talent for. The school had programmed the computers to find areas of student interest and build them. The goal was that, by the time of graduation, each student would be at expert levels in those few skills that they loved. Mike had discovered languages in second grade. He loved the different sounds and the flow of them. Mike just seemed to soak them up like a dry sponge. He had no doubt he would get a job doing something with languages. He was fluent in Japanese, Russian, Spanish, Mandarin, and, of course, English. He had started to learn Korean last term. Have you reserved a desk for me? Mike stood up and groaned. By the window, just as you like, Grand said, desk 31-15. Mike walked slowly to building three. He entered the front and passed the office. 
His dad was talking with some students and saw him. Mike raised a hand to wave. You okay, Mike? He called through the doorway. You look, uh, weightlifting, Mike said with a frown. I was wondering about that, he said. Just wanted a challenge? I thought I was signing up for Russian 3, Mike said. It was a mistake. It'll be good for you, Dad said, hopefully. That's what Mr. King told me, Mike kept walking. He crossed the atrium. Mosaic tile art covered the floors and vaulted ceilings. His steps echoed beautifully. The musical students often gave performances here, good acoustics. Mike pushed open the study hall door, and the sound suddenly dampened. The ceiling was made of noise-absorbing material. The transition from atrium to study hall always felt strange. He found his cubicle and sat down. Light streamed in through the window. Outside, Mr. Gray, the groundskeeper, trimmed a row of rose bushes. Students were sitting out on the grass, computers on their laps, working on their concentration studies. Mike briefly considered going outside to lay on the grass, but he knew if he lay down, he would stay down. He set Gran on an angled stand and began to work. Mike was soon lost in translations and vocabulary. He connected with online students from Spain and talked with them about the summer break. One had gone touring through southern France, and Mike told them about a summer job at the ice cream shop. Then more activities in other languages. Gran began switching languages at random in the middle of questions, which Mike thought must be a glitch in her programming. I show no mistake, Gran insisted. Okay, Mike said, and began reading a newspaper article split-translated into five languages. Mike had to translate the entire text into English and then refine the text for grammar errors. The Korean sections were impossible. I'm not at this level in Korean, Mike said, when he reached a line he couldn't understand. You know that. Gran said, just seeing if you practiced over the summer break. Summer break is for breaking, Mike said. The Korean line dissolved into Mandarin. Mike went back to work. The time flew by, as it always did when Mike worked on things he loved. After a bathroom break, Mike had experimental oil painting. He smeared paint around on the canvas for 30 minutes. Mrs. Cafferty demonstrated and even sat down with Mike while the rest of the class worked independently. Mike felt that his art skills hadn't changed much since kindergarten. Mrs. Cafferty smiled stiffly and said, Well done! Mike noticed a twitching muscle in her cheek as she said it. Mike knew she was trying not to frown. Keep at it, she walked on to help other students. By the end of the class, Mike was so frustrated that he took a palette knife and scraped his work right off the canvas. The painting of a basket of fruit smeared and streaked. He scraped until he could get nothing more off. He blew out a frustrated breath. Mrs. Cafferty looked toward him. Mike, what did you do? She strode over quickly. Oh, Mrs. Cafferty said when she saw the canvas. She studied it. Mike glanced at her and then at the canvas. Interesting, Mrs. Cafferty said. Mike looked at his destroyed work. It looks better that way, Mike shouted. He cupped his forehead with both hands. That makes no sense. The palette knife with the scrapings of his work smeared into his hair. The final three minutes of the class involved an awkward shampoo in the art sink. When he left, Mike felt relieved to get out of the room and away from that infertile canvas.
Mike sat in the atrium for ten minutes, recovering from art class. An eighth grader sat alone in the center, playing the cello. The low notes filled the space with a rich melody. Mike had no idea what the song was, but it was beautiful, simple, and relaxing. He closed his eyes and tried not to think about paint. When the boy finished playing, his computer spoke out some notes on his performance. Watch out for the sixteenth notes at measure thirty-seven, said the computer, who sounded like the President of the United States. That's four sixteenths, not three sixteenths and an eighth. Right, I noticed that one, said the boy. Mike raised his eyebrows. He didn't even understand what they were talking about. The boy's computer must have brought up another piece of music because the boy began playing another song. Mike leaned his head against the wall and determinedly ignored Grand's voice whispering from his backpack. The smell of freshly cut grass intruded on Mike's piece. He saw again the piece of Zayden's memory, the shot on the goal. He felt the sting of the kick. Then Mr. Perez walked on the field and made the same comment about the goalie, just like before. The music seemed to mix with the memory, so it had the feel of a movie soundtrack. A short man with sun-baked brown skin walked up to Mr. Perez. There is a problem, he said, looking at the ground but speaking close to Mr. Perez's shoulder. Immediately, Mr. Perez left the field. Mike watched him hurry into his car and drive away. Mike wondered, for the hundredth time, how these memories got into his brain. The last time it had happened, it had been his parents, his dad's memory. It had been a long argument between his parents while they sat in the car eating Chinese takeout. About money stuff, about cutting the budget, and then finally mom had agreed to go back to work at the start of the next school year, when Rachel started kindergarten. Are you and dad still fighting? Mike had asked. We aren't fighting. Mom had said, over the breakfast table. Not fighting, but disagreeing, Mike used air quotation marks. You are going back to work? Did Dad tell you? Mom said, an angry tone cropping into her voice. We weren't going to say anything until later. No, he didn't say anything, Mike said. I just overheard you guys talking about it. We were out on a date when we discussed that, Mom turned toward Mike, her eyebrows very narrow. What? Mike looked confused. I thought... Mike remembered the mental panic as he realized it had happened again, another memory that he shouldn't have. Mike, Gran said more loudly. He opened his eyes. The boy with the cello had finished. Yes, Mike said. Are you feeling all right? Gran said. Not great, to be honest, Mike said. He saw the boy packing up his instrument. He caught his eye and said, Sounds good. The boy smiled. Really, Mike said, very relaxing. Thanks, Mike, said the boy as he left the atrium. Mike felt bad for not remembering the kid's name. You are late, Michael, Grand said loudly. He stood up. The soreness had set in now. Come on, Grand, Mike complained. There are only thirty minutes left of school. Are you sure I don't have a free period? Quite sure, Grand said. You have your introduction to Japanese language and culture class. What? I thought that didn't start until next week, Mike said. He began limping as quickly as he could. You need to study your schedule, Mike, room 21F, Grand said. That's what you are here for, Mike said. He got outside, turned left, and ran down the sidewalk to the junior high building. 
Mike felt thankful that no one saw him as he lurched forward awkwardly. His right foot hurt at the heel where his sock had bunched up. Mike couldn't stop to fix the problem. Everyone would be waiting for him. He burst through the door of 21F, completely out of breath for the second time today. Mike bent over double. I'm sorry that I'm late. A crowd of kids laughed. Mike looked up and saw twenty elementary kids and fourteen junior hires sitting in their desks waiting for him. Wow, there are a lot of you, Mike said. He sat down in front of them, his breath coming and going ragged like a saw. I was listening to a guy playing the cello, Mike said, and waved the thought away. Mike pulled Gran from his backpack. He set her on the teacher's desk and wiped sweat from his forehead. With a few taps, he brought up his course files. A long list of names filled his screen. My name is Mike, Mike said in Japanese, pointing to his chest. He tapped his screen and threw the phrase out to their computers. Several kids looked surprised to see it appear in front of them. After a few moments, Mike said, Any guesses on what I just said? A hand raised. Mike nodded. Go ahead. I heard the word Mike in there, said the boy. Mike guessed he was in fourth grade. You got it, Mike said, since my name in English sticks out from the Japanese. So, what did I say, do you think? You told us your name, another girl said. Right, Mike said. Everyone tapped the phrase on your computers to show the side-by-side -side translation. My name is Mike. Watashi no name wa Mike desu. Say that out loud, Mike said. He raised his hands like a choir director. Watashi said the class. Good, Mike said. You are already speaking Japanese, although I doubt any of you are named Mike. I guess that means you are lying in Japanese. They laughed. Switch out Mike for your name and say it again. They did. The room was filled with noise. Hajimemashite, Mike replied, and then threw the new word to their computers. He saw kids tapping to get the translation. Now, Hold your finger on it for three seconds and the computer will demonstrate how to say it. The class progressed like that for the next thirty minutes. New words and how to pronounce them. Mike threw pictures to their computers of Japanese tourist destinations he pulled from the internet. They circled objects and labeled them. Then Mike told them the story of Momotero, the peach boy. Mike felt that the class went okay, considering that he had not prepared at all. As the kids walked out, they seemed happy enough. Then Mike glanced at his computer and noticed that there had been thirty online viewers during his class, too. He had completely forgotten to check. Mike sent them a quick note of thanks and explained that next class he would open up the channels so they could answer and join in. Gran, remind me to do that, Mike said. I'll make a note, Gran said. Oh, and prepare two pop-up reviews of the things we learned. I want each of them to go through them before the next class, Mike said. When is the next class, Gran? At this same time, Wednesday. Maybe add some extra vocabulary, like items of clothing and food, and do something with the Peach Boy story. I have prepared the review, and will send it out now, Gran said. Awesome. Mike took a deep breath. He stared at the walls, which were painted black. They reminded Mike of Mr. Novak's dark green room. It made Mike feel like he was floating in space. Did today feel like a week instead of one day to you? He asked Gran. 
Gran hummed. You'll get into the routine. It usually takes a while. Mike packed up his computer and limped out of the room. The sidewalks were packed with kids. The pickup area looked like an airport before a big flight. Mike made his way toward Dad's office. He frowned when he saw Zayden Perez and Ricardo talking with several other little kids. The expressions on their faces were a mixture of alarm and confusion at what Zayden was saying. As he walked by, Mike shouted over to the kids, Just ignore him and don't give him any of your snack bags. Zayden looked up at him. His eyes flashed with rage. Then he composed himself and laughed. The kids scattered. Ricardo narrowed his eyes at Mike. They fell in beside Mike, one on his left and the other on his right. What happened to your cane, Mike? Zayden said. Mike had to look back to see Zayden's expression, which was innocent and concerned. Did you take it? Mike asked. Zayden sounded shocked. It was taken? I'm sorry to hear that. His smile never twitched. He placed an arm across Mike's shoulder and patted it. Hopefully it will turn up. It must be hard walking without it. Your limp is much worse this afternoon. Mike shrugged Zayden's arm away and glanced at Ricardo. A look of admiration filled Ricardo's face as he watched Zayden talk. Then he caught Mike's eyes and flattened his mouth to a grimace. You guys are already popular. You are so good at sports. I don't understand why you would want to bother the little kids. Just to get more bags? Just to win another game? Spike, Zayden said slowly, I don't expect you to understand. You've never really been important. How could you get it? It's probably better if you just go back to the way you used to be. The nice kid without a foot that no one cares about, nobody notices. Don't you remember, before the tomb maker, you were a timid little cripple. That was the real you. Zayden and Ricardo peeled away from Mike so quickly that it felt like they disappeared. Mike frowned. He felt his eyes watering. No, you will not, Mike told himself. He blinked furiously to prevent tears. Suddenly, Mike's limp felt very awkward. The pain on his heel grew worse. The sea of kids streaming around him like a slow bus felt intolerable. At the office, parents were lined up pretty thick. Mike stood outside and leaned against the building. Hey, Mike, Will said as he slowly approached. Beside him, the boy with the cello rolled his instrument in its black case with difficulty. Will, Mike smiled. How's it going? Hey, Mike, said the boy with the cello when he arrived. He rested the case upright and it stood in place. Imagine if that thing didn't have wheels, Mike said. I know, the cello boy said. Sometimes I wish I had chosen the piccolo. What's that? Mike said. A tiny flute, the boy said. I could slip it into my pocket. Mike nodded. That would be easier. You know, I don't think I've ever learned your name. Wei, said the cello boy. My name is Wei. It means great and powerful in Chinese. Endemijenshaihin, Mike said. Wei looked startled, but then bowed his head slightly. What? Will said. What did he say? Wei said. He said, my name suits me. Oh, Will said, looking lost. Will's mom pulled up to the curb and shouted out of her window. Will turned and walked away. See you later, Mike, he said. That's my ride, Wei said and followed Will. Both Will, Wei, and the cello packed into the car 
which pulled into the flow of traffic that led to the exit. Mike watched everyone else do the same. Quickly, the sea of kids turned into a trickle. Still, Mike didn't see Rachel, Jackson, or Peter. He ducked into the office. Hey, Dad, do you know where everyone is? Principal Dad looked exhausted. I told them to wait by the car. You did? Mike said. I better get going before the twins rip the doors off. He limped out of the office. See you later, Mike, Dad said. And then he was talking to another parent. As Mike approached the car, he saw that Rachel had her arms crossed and a deep frown on her face. At first, Mike thought that was because he'd made them wait. He saw Jackson and Peter sitting on the roof rack, looking very pleased with themselves. What's wrong? Mike asked as he hugged his little sister. I can't climb up, Rachel pointed. Her lower lip stuck out farther. Help me get up. Something rolled down the windshield and over the hood. Mike glanced up and saw Jackson rolled another wooden coin down the glass. What are you doing? Mike asked. We are racing them, Peter said. No, we aren't, Jackson said. It's whoever gets farther. They bounced another set of wooden coins down the glass and they hopped onto the pavement like little tires. Mike tilted his head when he saw the ground in front of the van was littered with little wooden circles. He saw one that had gotten stuck in the windshield wiper and picked it up. Where did you get these? Mike asked. They were about the size of a 50-cent piece, but a half-inch thick. There was a whole bag of them hanging on the mirror, Rachel informed him. Mike recognized what they were. His face turned red, his fist balled up. Who had done this to his walking stick? He scanned the parking lot, but it was empty now. Don't get mad, Mike, Jackson said. We're getting down. They slid down the glass with their hands in the air. It's my walking stick, Mike said. What? Peter said. Someone stole it and cut it into pieces. Mike squeezed a coin in his fist. Thanks for listening. You can find B.T. Higgins at bthiggins.com or the email contact bthigginsbooks at outlook.com.